Hey, will you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Lord, this is the day that you have made because we are on your day, the Lord's day, Sunday. This is the greatest day of the week, and we get to celebrate it over and over again every seventh day, where we get to come together as a large group and and lift up the name of King Jesus. Thank you for your mercy and grace that flows down from the throne of grace in heaven because of your son, Jesus Christ. For his perfect life lived in our place, his death on the cross that made payment for us. He was our substitute, a death that he died that we should have died. Lord, he was buried. He rose again three days later. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And we have access to the throne of grace through our prayers. And so, Lord, hear our prayers now. Lord, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning on a topic that we are familiar with, the topic of fellowship. And so, Lord, just be a, uh, send your spirit to, again, uh, illuminate your word and the importance of this in our lives as Christians, the fellowship of the saints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All righty. Well, um, we are in the midst of a, a study uh, in life group. Uh, I'm sorry, a study here on Sunday mornings, going over our four pillars uh, in life group. And uh, yesterday, we got to experience that at our kickoff event for our men's breakfast, our man's school breakfast. And it was awesome. We had about 40 plus men here, uh, and also the younger men, some sons of the men uh, that were here celebrating Jesus. Now, nothing miraculous happened, uh, just men getting together, eating waffles and eggs and uh, lots of bacon, hanging out and opening God's Word. And, And really, what we were doing is doing what God has called us men to do and and some of the natural rhythms that he has set forth, that that we as men, we are to get together in fellowship and to build one another up. Men sharpening and serving one another, encouraging one another towards Christ and his mission for us as men here on earth. It was good biblical fellowship, and that's why it was awesome. And I said, we are in the midst of a sermon study uh, of our four values of life groups, and And we want our life groups to flourish in these values. Uh, Pastor Rich kicked us off last week and did a great job on uh, the the primary one, gospel growth. Uh, It's the vertical relationship that informs all of our horizontal relationships, such as the one we're going to see today on biblical fellowship. For us to have biblical, true fellowship, we must know the gospel. We must know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must have the Spirit of God indwell us. We must be informed by His Word. And then we do that and live that out together. We understand the implications of the gospel. We understand how to apply the gospel to our daily lives. It is foundational. And that's what Rich talked about last week. And I would encourage you, if you missed it, go listen to his message because it was outstanding. And today we're looking at biblical fellowship. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because of His Spirit, because of His Word, because of the church community, we gather together in large groups such as Sunday gatherings and in smaller groups such as life groups to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and to worship Him. And, and, and this is the, 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 the foundational pillar of biblical fellowship is Jesus and the gospel. Without Jesus, without the gospel, there is no such thing as biblical fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So because of the gospel, we can come together. We come from different backgrounds, different circumstances, different upbringings, different countries, yet we come here united around Christ to worship Him in fellowship. Now, now we're all familiar with fellowship. 
If you've been around the crossing, uh, you, you know this is very, uh, very important to us. We talk about it almost every single week. We engage in it every single week. Uh, it's also referred to as community or partnership in the Scriptures. And today, for most of us, today is a, is a reminder. It's a reminder to remembrance as I prayed how important fellowship is, how important you and I getting together around the Word of God in community is for our life. Fellowship, definition again, we, it's known as a, a synonyms of fellowship, association, community, communion, joint partnership. It's to share in and with everything and anything with one another. Uh, on our website, if you look at uh, under the values of our life group, uh, this is what we say under fellowship. Our definition for the crossing, our desire is to be a people who participate in the gospel with one another. It is more than just a social club or Bible study that we attend. It's, it's a group of people walking through and partnering in life together. And so partnership is more than just something that we attend. I think that's one way we can, we can just, just reiterate and be reinduced to uh, fellowship. It's that it's not something that we attend. You attend a movie. You attend a restaurant where you, where you go and you get served. You are passive. passive. Biblical fellowship is partnership. It's active language. You are partnering with one another. You are coming and you're bringing something to the table as well as me. And when we get together, we are sharpening with one another. So fellowship is not just something that we attend. It's something that we do because of who we are in Christ Jesus. It goes directly back to the Trinity. Uh, the, our Lord, our God is, is one in three. He is, he is God and he's made himself known the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And before he created you and me in this earth, he was in perfect fellowship, partnership with one another. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit communing together. And this is what fellowship is so important because it gives us direct access and points us back to our triune God. So again, it's something that we give our lives to. Here's a couple of my favorite verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, So being effectually desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, also our own selves. Philippians 1.3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, all making my prayer with joy because, this is why Paul is filled with joy, because of your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. And then Acts 2.42, we're all familiar with, and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the what? The fellowship. The fellowship. A biblical fellowship and from the early church on is like breathing air for us as humans. It's natural. This is something that we are devoted to. When someone is saved, when someone hears the gospel, repents of their sins and cross over from death to life and the Holy Spirit comes in and seals your heart, they don't think, no one has to tell them, now you need to go get into fellowship. There's a natural thing that happens. It's like, man, I need to be going to church. I need to gather around other Christians. It's a natural effect. I love what one said. He says this about fellowship. He says, heaven will consist largely in the communion of saints. And if we enjoy heaven below here on earth, we must carry out the words of the creed in our practice. I believe in the fellowship of the saints. Again, fellowship is partnership. It's you and me giving not 50% of our time, but 100% of our time to Christ and towards one another. It's just not another thing that we do in our calendar during the week. It's something that we should mark and rally around our calendar around. 
We should manage our calendar around Sunday gatherings and life group and journey groups because this biblical fellowship is one of the most important things that you can engage in in your life. But let's be honest here. Biblical fellowship is hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Uh, we live in, in sunny Colorado, and on Sunday mornings when it's bright and beautiful in the summertime, people are heading up to the mountains, getting out enjoying God's creation. In the wintertime, when it snows, people love to go ski in the mountains. So we're like, we're at a disadvantage here at, at the crossing because we live in a beautiful place. But it's primary. It's, it's difficult because of that, of getting together. But let me give you a couple other reasons why it's so hard. And again, we're talking about the life group context, but these principles flow throughout our fellowship and the other different aspects of the church. Why is this so hard? Let me give you two reasons. One, I was listening to a podcast this week kind of on this topic. And to, to sum up the podcast, it says this, the reason why people are isolating themselves and not in a relationship as they were uh, the last 10 years is because in short, people are exhausting. How many of you, go ahead and raise your hand if you think people are exhausting. Go ahead and raise your hand. I'm going to raise both my hands, okay? How many of you guys are introverts in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to raise my hand as well. You might not know this, but I am an, I'm an introvert. I am not an extrovert. I know that might shock some of you because you, I get up here and teach a lot. You see me in big things. I can shake hands and kiss babies with the best of them, right? But I, I, that drains me. You can ask my wife. Every Sunday afternoon, I go home, it's 2 o'clock nap time. I need, to, I need to refuel because I am just, I've been overwhelmed. I need to decompress because I'm drained mentally and physically. How many of you are like that? And then we have life groups. We're talking about life groups. And one of our life groups is getting together in our smaller groups during the week and, and in, engaging and partnering with. There are times where I have to talk myself into going to life group. And this is the mission and vision statement that, that, that I helped create growing up growing up uh, uh, <laughs> in the last 12 years. And yet I have, to, I have to will myself sometimes to go because it's hard. It's difficult. And people are exhausting. But again, this is what the Lord has placed and values that He has placed for the local church, for you and me to gather, not only in Sunday gatherings in large groups, but in the smaller groups along the way. Because we live in a Genesis 3 world, and it's hard out there. And we need to get down deep into each other's lives to encourage the one another's of Scripture, which is what we're going to highlight a little bit later here. We're going to highlight the one another's of Scripture. That's how we participate in biblical fellowship. But it's hard because people are exhausting. In fact, this is probably one of the main um, issues in my wife and I's marriage. Because she is an extrovert. She is chatty and relevant. She loves crowds. She loves shaking hands and kissing babies, right? And I'm like, I hate it. And so there's times where we're at a group or a Sunday gathering or a life group, and she wants to hang out and talk, and I'm like, babe, let's go, let's go. I give her the look like, you know? And she's like, no, but it's hard. So, so I get, I, I, I understand. Biblical fellowship can be hard because people are exhausting. Half of us in here are introverted. Some of us are not. Second, we, we, we think this. Now, we all do. Now, I might, I, might, I might give you a little jab right now, so bear with me. It's okay. <clears throat> the reason why we, we might struggle with this is because we think that people aren't as cool as me. Right? 
I'm too cool for school. I'm too cool for those guys. I don't need to waste my time going to that group. Now, let's just be honest. Everyone raise their hand who has had that thought. Go ahead and raise their hand and be honest in here. Okay, now the majority of you guys are lying right now because I know what humanity is. I know my own heart. We all do that. But here's the reality. When we think about, uh, look at others and be like, man, those people are just flat out weird. I can't go hang out with them. You know what they're saying about you? Man, that guy is just flat out weird. I can't go hang out with him. So it's mutual. Listen, we are people. We, we all have our issues. We all have our, our, our problems. We all have our imperfections. And I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says this. He says, if you wait for a perfect church, you must wait until you get to heaven. And even if you could find a perfect church here on earth, I assure you that they would not admit you to their fellowship because you yourself are not perfect either, right? And and we all have that. That might be another reason. But in fact, that reason, our differences, our imperfections, our maturity levels are actually a strength of biblical fellowship, our strength and a reason why we should go to uh, Sunday guys, but more in particular to life groups, because that is where we learn from one another. We, again, we all come from different backgrounds with different um, upbringings. We all come with different experiences, and we can sharpen one another in those ways. And when, when trials and difficulties come up that, that maybe I haven't dealt with, but you have, and you can come in and you can minister to me. So it's actually a strength. There's a reason why people are drawn to movies like Lord of the Rings, The Avengers, Harry Potter, The Matrix. When you get all these groups of people together that are different with their imperfections and their strengths and you see them come together as a unit and fulfill a a mission, a quest, we all long to be a part of a team like that. But those teams aren't made up of the similar individuals. They all have their differences and imperfections. It's a a strength. I like to think of it like this. I I like to think of it like baking and building a cake. Not that I'm a a cake guy. I like to eat cake. I I don't bake cakes. But I like to think of fellowship like a cake. Uh, You need flour. You need sugar. You need water. You need eggs, right? And in and of themselves, those things aren't going to make up a cake. But when you put them together in the right mixture, they make a glorious and tasty cake. And that's like it's with fellowship. All of us together with our imperfections, with our immaturities, with our, our quirky corks, God uses. He uses for His glory and for our joy. Romans 12, 4 says this, For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through men, we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, gifts according to the grace given to us. It's a strength. It's a strength. So these are maybe two reasons why it's hard to, 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 to be consistent at fellowship, but I would ask you to press in. Press in and overcome. If you're an introvert like me, press in. Sometimes you're going to have to will yourself there. And every time I do that, it is worth it. I get ministered to by my life group. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. One of the the great things that I love, we do covenant partnership. It's kind of our membership here. And we do like three or four classes a year. And one thing that we have consistently heard for the past 12 years since I planted this, and this has been like, this is something like when we planted this church, this is what we want to be about. We want to be about authentic biblical fellowship. We want to be about that. People can come here as they are and, be, and meet God. 
and be encouraged and loved by the body. And over the last 12 years, one of the main reasons why people say that they end up and stay at the crossing is because of the authentic biblical fellowship. That you can be yourself. You can be real. You can, you can share your joys and you can share your struggles. And you can be how God has wired and created you. Now, there's a gazillion ways. That was just the introduction, so don't, don't worry. The, the second half will go by quicker, but there are a gazillion ways you can attack fellowship. It's, it's, it's talked about a hundred times in the New Testament. We're going to zero in on the one another's, and there's like, some say there's 59, some say there's 47, so you can think like, okay, we're going to have a 59-point sermon here from here on out, right? I'm going to condense them down to five, and so the first one we'll stay a little bit uh, longer in, uh, but again, we're, gonna, we're just scratching the surface of what biblical fellowship is. A, a lot of you already are already experiencing biblical fellowship now. And again, if you're visiting with us, this is, a, this is a huge portion of who we are, that we do life together. In fact, most of us in here see each other at least two, three, four times a week. Where you have a lot of churches out there where they, don't, they, they might see each other for, for 45 minutes every Sunday, and that's about it. This is a huge primary value for us. Because this is what we believe that Scripture teaches. So first, and again, we're going to spend most of our time here. It kind of sets the foundation of biblical fellowship. First, fellowship begins with the love of Christ. And in particular, it begins with humility. It begins with humility. It begins with you and me walking in humility. And thinking of others more important than ourselves. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Again, these topical messages, typically we go through books of the Bible. After we end this series, in a couple weeks, we're going to start the book of Nehemiah. And then in the springtime, we're going to go through the book of Luke. But John chapter 13. Here we have Jesus. He has just concluded his public ministry. He has gathered his disciples. And he's about to spend the next couple chapters just talking to them. Uh, The public ministry has ended. He is now in the private ministry. And he says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, and you notice he's going to his death, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's at the last Passover feast. And who's there? Again, it's his disciples. It's Jesus and his 12 disciples. Those whom he's loved from the beginning and he will love towards the end. That is the ultimate motive in which life, the Christian life, is based on. It's based on love. And in particular, it's based on Jesus' love towards you and me. The reason why you love, the reason why I love, is because God loved us first. Amen? And so this is the motive. And we see here, again, it's just... This is kind of like Jesus' life group, these men, for the past three years. Yes, he's done public ministry, and he's ministered to others, and he has others outside that, that, that follow him. But this is his small group. This is his life group, these men. And this is really the first meeting of the New Covenant community. This is the seedling of the church that's going to be birthed in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And it's built on love. And then he says this in, in 2 verse 4. Um, just summarize, Jesus knows his betrayal is about to happen. And so verse 4 says, he rose from supper. Now what is about to happen is absolutely mind-boggling. It's jaw-dropping what precedes this. And I want you to think about humility and service. Humility and service. Again, humility is defined as a modest, low view of one's importance. A heart motive which leads to action or service to others. And service is defined as an action of helping or doing work for or to someone. So think of those two things as we walk through this. 
Now, it was in customary in that time when you would go to a place and have a meal that a servant or the lowest person in the house, the lowest ranked person in the house, would wash the feet of the guests would wash the feet of the guests immediately. One of the first things they would do is they would wash the feet because no one wants to eat food with stinky feet. Can I get an amen? Okay. And so what they do, they would wash the feet. Now, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling from all over and from traveling from Bethany. And obviously, they got dirty feet from their journey. They didn't have clothes to shoe. They didn't have Nikes. They didn't have Adidas. They didn't have Merino wool socks to, to conceal the odor, right? They wore open-toed shoes. Now, I don't know if Jesus was a flip-flop guy, if he was a sandals guy or a Chaco guy. But all I know is that his, his feet stunk and so did disciples because there were no sidewalks back then. There were no streets. They weren't walking in green grass. They were walking in dirt. They were walking in mud. They were walking over animal landmines and urine on the street. So they had stinky feet. You get the picture. And they get to the upper room, and again, there's no servants there. Because Jesus had them reserve that upper room for themselves. There's no servants here, so they go right into the meal. They don't wash one another's feet, and they go right into the meal. Well, in Luke's account, at this point of the story, it says that the disciples were arguing with one another of who was going to be uh, the best. Who was going to be the one that would sit next to Jesus? Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Their minds weren't on serving one another. Their minds weren't on selflessness. There was minds on selfishness. Their minds, again, were not on to serve others, but who were going to serve them? And, that, and that's why no one washed one another's feet when they got into there, because someone was like, I ain't washing Peter's feet. Andrew's like, I ain't washing, you know, Mark's feet, etc. And then we read, and this is what's mind-boggling. Again, look at verse 4, John 13, verse 4. He, Jesus, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. And he wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's mind-boggling. It's jaw-dropping. Jesus, the one in whom God the Father has given all things. Jesus, the, the Son of God. Jesus, the one who was used by God to, to create this world, uh, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He was the one from heaven, and he's the one going back to heaven. This Jesus takes off his garments. He strips down to dress as an identity of a servant, and he washes the feet that he helped create. He serves them. And what motivated to serve him was humility. Galatians 5 says this, You were called to freedom, so don't use your opportunity of freedom for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus setting this as a, a rhythm of his new fellowship, the new covenant community, to love one another Motivated by humility and serve. And what makes it unbelievable, not, it's unbelievable not because this is the, again, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords that are washing feet, but he even washes the feet of who? Judas, the one who was going to betray him. He even washes his feet. Humility leads to service. Augustine said this, if you plan to build a tall house of virtue, you must first lay a deep foundation of humility. And that's what Jesus is doing here with his 
disciples, with his life group. He's laying a foundation of humility and service that should be carried on throughout the ages of his church and of his covenant community. So when we talk about life group and fellowship, this is why it's the second pillar next to the gospel because it was so important to Jesus. Humility and service. Uh, Jesus then asks a very direct question to his disciples, and I think he's also asking the question to you and to me this morning. Look at John 13, 12. When he washed their feet and put out his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? And then he gives them the answer so there is no misunderstanding. He gives you and I the answer. Verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so what we see here is Jesus, again, is setting the tone. He's giving the example of what it looks like to be a follower of him. What's one of the attributes of being a, a man and woman in the kingdom of God? It's, it's an example of a heart of humility that leads to koinia, that leads to fellowship, serving one another. And he goes on to talk, Jesus, he goes on to talk about uh, practical and um, positional righteousness there. So we're not going to get into that. But again, he's just driving this point home. And then he really drives the point home in verse 17. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Again, this is why this is the second foundation of our life groups, because we want to be like Jesus. He was our example of humility and serving one another. Biblical fellowship is partnering with one another. It's laying down our lives for one another. This should remind you of Philippians 2.3, that Christian fellowship... Motivated by humility and serving one another. It should remind you of Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests. So go ahead and, go ahead and take care of yourself, Paul is saying. There's nothing wrong with that. Not only to your owners, but also, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, a humble mind, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's where we want to begin. When we talk about our, our life groups, when we talk about wanting to be a fellowship of believers, we, it starts with a, with a motive of love and humility. That's where we got to begin so that we can exercise that. And, and Daniel talked about the play set. I want to kind of highlight this at a big corporate level. Uh, this is a massive project. I'm, guys, I'm glad there's guys like uh, Dave, uh, I was about to call him David, Daniel and Rich, you know, because these guys are gifted in this area. I'm like, man, any playground out there is fine. That's just, you know, if kids are on monkey bars, I grew up in a time where kids could like swing on the monkey bars, fall down, and it was okay, right? Now there's all kinds of rules and regulations around. We can't even have monkey bars anymore, I don't think, on public schools. Anyhow, I digress. Anyways, the point is, it's a massive project, and Noah's life group this past week, Daniel talked about the, the many servants, and we have a ton of, if, you, if you've served out there, go ahead and raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've served out there. There's, there's been, I mean, a lot of our body has served, and so thank you. But in particular, again, I want to highlight life group. Uh, Noah's life group went out and served there for their life group time this, I think it was this, this past week. And now what makes that so amazing is that mo- a lot of their life groups are a bunch of single men and women. What, what, is the playground for them? 
No, the playground is for young families. And they recognize this. They're thinking, not of themselves, but they're thinking of the young families out there. And they say, hey, I can humble myself and go serve and make this thing functional so that we can be a support to fellowship that happens on Sunday mornings after the gathering. When, 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 when this is over, we, we have people that stay around for 45 minutes to an hour. And, and, and the kids are running and jumping and playing in the playgrounds. And the parents are fellowshipping and hanging out. And it's just a testimony of, of, of Noah's life group following Christ. I think of our, our life group that served yesterday at the men's breakfast. We had about, I think, about eight of us there that were serving. We showed up 45 minutes early to cook, to cook the bacon, to cook the eggs, uh, to set up. To, and then they stayed late to tear down. And, and all the while, why? Because they were, they were helping set a scene and a stage for fellowship to happen through the Word and through people talking around tables. But in the midst of them prepping the time for fellowship for the guys that were going to come, they were also having fellowship among themselves. They were making relational deposits in each other's lives and just casual conversation on what happened during the week or how can we pray for you. Old relationships were being strengthened. New relationships were being made because we had some new guys coming in. And they're like, well, I'm new. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And they're getting a, a starting a new relationship. It's just good fellowship. That's what, that's what humility promotes. It promotes service. It promotes us thinking of others more important than ourselves and stepping in there and serving. And so that's the first thing. If we're going to get biblical fellowship right, we got to start with the right motive and the, the right direction is that of humility. We got to look back to Christ and see how humility caused him to bend on his knees, become a servant, and wash the disciples' feet. So that was the first one. Then the next ones are going to, we're just going to rip through. Uh, second, fellowship is personal and is present. True biblical fellowship is personal and it's present. It's physically present. God could have, he could have, he could have saved us from the throne room of heaven, but he didn't. He came down and dwelt among us. In the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen and experienced his glory. He, he came down. He became man. He, he gathered his life group, his, his disciples to experience life with them, to serve them, to experience koinonia with one another. Partnership in the mission of God. He understands the peaks and valleys of life because he walked through the peaks and valleys of life with these men and with others. He experienced what they experienced. Here, here's the thing about fellowship. You can't have fellowship by yourself. There's, there's no such thing as, as a single man or single woman's fellowship. Uh, fellowship innately takes more than one person. It takes multiple people to, to, again, rally around a cause and a mission and come together in partnership into life. It's impossible to have fellowship by yourself. That's why God had to come down and become man and begin this fellowship. Remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was one of his best friends, one of his best buddies. Him and, and Mary and Martha. And, and Lazarus died. And when it said Lazarus died, it said that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse. He, he wept. The reason why he wept is because he loved Lazarus. Because they lived life together. They fellowshiped together. They koinia together. They, they helped build the kingdom of God together. And, 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 and his friend died and he wept. And then Mary and Martha were devastated. When Jesus came, he had to come physically to comfort them, to hold them, to caress them, to talk to them. He had to be present. It had to be personal. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. 
We can comfort one another with a phone call. We can comfort one another with a text. But if we really want to comfort someone who's struggling, we need to be physically present. It needs to be personal. Again, Acts chapter 2 gives us kind of two main gatherings for this fellowship and for this to happen. It says, day by day, attending temple, think Sunday gathering, large group, and breaking in their homes. Uh, Again, think life groups in general. And I think this couple years ago, I guess it's been a couple years ago now with COVID and the lockdowns, I think it was a couple years ago, I've lost track of when that was actually, (coughs) We, we learned a valuable lesson about fellowship being personal and present, didn't we? Uh, we, we, we uh, thank God for te- uh, technology, and we had Zoom, and that kind of kept us together. But is Zoom any substitute for getting together personally in someone's home and breaking the bread? Absolutely not. We learned that lesson. Uh, we learned that we need to be presence, that we need to shake a hand. We need to be able to give a hug to someone that's walking through a difficult time. We need to give high fives when we hear about someone getting a job or someone having a kid. We need to be physically present. I, don't, I, I think one of the best things about, about this, about being physically present, is no, is no one has to worry about when you're physically present talking to someone that you're not talking for a minute and someone's like, uh, hey, you got to unmute yourself right now, right? Anyone with me? We don't have to worry about that anymore. So fellowship is personal and it's presence. Thirdly, fellowship is patient and it's long-suffering. Fellowship is patient and long-suffering. How many times do we read in the Gospels that the disciples didn't understand Jesus? Uh, that Thomas doubted Jesus, uh, that, that, that Peter put his foot in the mouth over and over again. How many times did James and John want to call down fire on people? It was recorded once, but I'm sure it was more than one time. And yet Jesus loved them. He was patient with them. He knew where they were standing. He wanted to, to bring them to maturity from their immaturity. What about the weakness and the doubts and the stubbornness of Andrew, Nathaniel, Mary, Martha, Nicodemus, the woman at the well? You see, biblical Fellowship is, is patient. It, 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 it's long-suffering. It, it extends grace to one another. It's compassionate to one another. It knows that we are, in a, again, in the Genesis 3 world, on our, on our way to a Revelation 21 world, but it's hard right now. And we need to be encouraged. We need to be built up. We need to be extended grace and patience. Biblical fellowship shows patience and long-suffering to one another, and we see that in our, in our life groups. Ephesians 4.2 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Romans 12.12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. I mean, I, when, I, when you think about all the different one another's in scriptures, and again, some say there's 59, some say there's 47, there's a whole bunch of them. This has got to be like at the top, wouldn't you say? That we're patient with one another, that we're long-suffering with one another. When, 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 when someone in our life group is, is, is walking through a, a, a miscarriage, a, a death in the family, a, a loss of a job, a, a teenage kid struggling, what do we need in those situations that are walking through that? We need, we need people to be patient with us. We need, we need people to be long-suffering with us. We need, we need people to come alongside us and be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Let me just l- listen to you. 
Let me hold up your arms. I know it's a difficult time. We need people to be long-suffering with one another. And man, there's so many stories that have happened over these 12 years in our small groups, how, how you guys have exemplified this. And many of you, I'm, I'm looking at your faces. I know your stories. I know what you have walked through. I know what people next to you have helped you walk through and vice versa. Fellowship is patient. It's long-suffering. It's partnership, not only on the, the joys and the highs and the green pastures, but also in the valleys. Fourth, fellowship provides encouragement. Fellowship provides encouragement. We need one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, encourage one another. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians, it tells us to encourage one another daily. Why? Because we all have bad days here, right? Whether it's a loss again of a loved one, a failed exam, money problems, depression, or even a crisis of faith, doubting. <coughs> we can find ourselves down and and, and, and doubting God. It's in these times, sometimes we, we, we feel alone. I, I mean, think about, again, during COVID or even the last 20 years, anyone here just feel alone or isolated? Like I'm the only one out there? I mean, I have sometimes. I know you have as well. You get that Elijah syndrome, right? I'm the only one. No one understands. I'm all alone. God, you, where, where are you? And this is where fellowship is so important to have men and women to come, come alongside you and speak truth to you, to lead you to the Scriptures, to love you, to console you, to encourage you. The truth of God, who you are in Christ, that He hasn't abandoned you, that He's there right there with you. Fellowship reminds us that we are not alone and we need that so desperately. Spending time with other believers can often lift us up and put us back on our feet. I mean, I just look at my life and my Christian walk, and in fact, these last 12 years, and you, and many of you, when I'm in this place, God has used you to come breathe life into me, to encourage me. I was meeting with a brother this week from Life Group. We were just hanging out. He's going through a tough season, doubt, anxiety, despair, um, just all these things, and his countenance was, was low, it was down, he, he was depressed. And I just got the, hey man, I, I understand those thoughts. I understand your doubt. I understand your anxiety. I understand because I, I've been there as well. I, I've walked through those valleys as well. And here's how the Lord has used certain things in my life. And, and maybe this might help you out. And as we were talking, you could just see his face change from despair to hope. And he says, it's good to know that I'm not the only one. Fellowship provides encouragement, and we all need encouragement. And the thing about this is when you're in life group, when you're in community with one another, when you're in partnership with one another, when you're seeing each other two to three times a week, and you know that when someone asks you, man, how was your week? You know they're being genuine, and it's just not a thing that they don't really care. They want to know how your week was. They want to know how you're doing. And then you get to tell them, and when you're doing that on a weekly basis, and you build that relational equity, that when someone sees someone, they can tell that you're in the despair or you're depressed, they can come in and they can speak truth to you and you're going to receive it because you know they care for you. And vice versa. There's going to be times where that, where that brother that I was sitting with this, this week is also going to encourage me. In fact, he has already in a number of ways. So fellowship provides encouragement. And finally, 
Fellowship grows our influence around us through our love for one another. In John 13, uh, love almost bookends John 13. There's still a little section after, but, but the main thought of, of John 13 is that of love. And Jesus says this in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Biblical fellowship is one of the main ways that we can reach those who don't know Jesus. To reach our family members, to our friends, where we live, work, and play is through biblical fellowship. Tertullian was an early defender of the Christian faith against its opponents. And he said this, that, that, that typically it wasn't a theological or philosophical argument that won someone or persuaded someone to follow Christ, but it was the way how the Christian community loved one another that made the difference. It's the way they served one another that made the difference. It's the way that they encouraged one another that made the difference. He said this, quote, he said, it's mainly the deeds of love so noble that led many to put the brand on us or come to faith. See, they say, see how they love one another and how they are even ready to die for one another. Biblical fellowship can be one of the great ways in which we bring the gospel to our circles of influence to those who don't know Jesus. And again, this has been a pattern for us the last 12 years at the crossing. We have talked about this in, in many ways. When we come together in life group, on, on like on our meets on Wednesday night, that's like a formal time where our life group meets. And we know we're going to meet there. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to pray together. We're going to talk to one another. We're going to open God's word together. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to do the one another's of scripture. But there's also kind of like what we call informal times where we're going to have a Super Bowl party or a poker night, or we're going to go meet at the, the local pub, and we're going to invite our friends and, that do not know Jesus. And through that, over the last 12 years, the gospel has gone forth, and we've seen fruit from it. But I want to take it all the way back to my wife and I. Uh, my wife and I, when we dated, we, we didn't do it according to God's plan. I came to know the Lord my senior year in high school, then I got shipped off away to college. As you guys know the story, I went into college with no paper, no pencil, first class. I was there to play baseball, major in eligibility, and get drafted in three years. In that first class, the, the teacher said, all right, get out your piece of paper and a pencil. We're going to write an essay. Didn't have a piece of paper and a pencil, just sitting there in the front row. And all of a sudden, I turn, and I see this beautiful tan foot in calf. And she says, you need a piece of paper and a pencil? And I said, wow, you're smart. You know, you're pro perspective. And I said, yes, I do. I didn't say that. I said that in my mind, not to her. <clears throat> well, that's Rita, my wife. She didn't know Jesus. I knew you weren't, you weren't supposed to marry a, uh, or date a non-believer, not married, but date a non-believer, but I did anyways because I was foolish, young, and dumb, and she was sexy and hot, right? <laughs> <clears throat> well, through that, we, we were two years, the, my sophomore year, as you guys know, my mom passed away on Christmas Eve. It devastated our family. It was a very trying time for me. Um, on Christmas Eve, I get a call from my dad. My mom passed away. Um, it, was, it was one of the worst days uh, of my life. It probably the worst day of my life so far. Rita was not a Christian at that point. We were still dating. And it was at that point where, where she saw uh, not only our family, but also the church rally around us. 
And one of, her, one of the reasons why she thought that we believed as a family is because we had the perfect family. And nothing bad happened to the Santini family. That's why they, they follow Jesus and they love the Jesus and they go to church. Well, she saw in our darkest hour how we clung to Jesus and how Jesus really, really, Jesus clung to us and how our church clung to us. And this is what she said. She said, on Aaron... And the Santini's my dad, and on Aaron's worst day, he had peace and support. And she said, on my best day, I have never had that peace and that support. And God used that community to bring her to faith. Fellowship grows our influence around those who love one another. Amen? Again, as I said, there's a lot of another, one another's we can go through. We've gone through five of them. There's 47 or 59, however you want to say. But here's the point. Biblical fellowship is important. It's massively important. It's one of the first attributes, values that Jesus impressed on his disciples, coming from a motive of love and humility that then promotes service to one another in a variety of different ways. And so this week... Again, we've just scratched the surface, but this week, challenge yourself to do a little Bible study on the one another's. Get on Google, type in the one another's of Scripture. You'll see them all listed. There's a number of good ones. In fact, in fact we might put something on Realm, so you guys only need to do that. We'll put something on Realm that you guys can find. And then just start doing a study on the one another's of Scripture and see what biblical fellowship looks like. And then pick out a handful of those. And, and be intentional throughout your weeks to dive in. Maybe it's encouraging one another. And, and maybe this week or this month or the rest of this month, you just say, you know what? I'm going to be purposeful and encourage one another in our life groups. Through phone calls, through texts, through, through lunches, through breakfasts. Uh, maybe it's serving one another. Maybe you know there's someone that needs serving. You need, they need help with something whether it's maybe an addition on the house or maybe it's the work on the car or maybe it's the playground or, or, or whatever it may be. And then enter in and be intentional and, and serve one. Go through the one another's of Scripture so that God will grow your, your, your experience and your love and your joy for biblical fellowship. And then watch, and just watch. Watch the Lord use you to help transform His children into image bearers of Christ for His glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you, for, thank you for biblical fellowship. Thank you for that we understand it begins with you. It begins with the gospel. It begins with our vertical relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It begins with your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. When we repent and believe in the good news of the gospel, Oh, Lord, again, you give us your spirit. You give us uh, your word that informs us. And you give us a community to rally around us, to, to, to participate in life in. And so, Lord, may we do that this week as a church body. May we be intentional uh, to live out the one another's and to experience the blessings of fellowship. And for, for anyone in here that's not in a, a small group, in a journey group, Lord, I pray that you impress on their heart to get into one. Because again, there's no such thing as isolated families or isolated individuals. We need one another to rally around one another to encourage us to life and godliness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.